Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and downloading and subscribing. I thank you very much. And also, thank you for the kind words. If you want to leave more kind words, feel free to leave a review over on iTunes. I would really appreciate it. My family can only do so much. Today's episode is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. So if you're looking to get a domain name, create a site, and a whole host of other fun things, head over to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, click on the resources tab, and then the GoDaddy icon, and you can save 30% today. So head on over there if you're thinking about getting a URL or a domain name. So today is a really fun podcast. It was recorded live at the International Olympic Committee's meeting in Monaco back in March, and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Marie Elaine Grant. She's a physiotherapist to the International Olympic Committee's Medical Commission Games Group, Ireland's Olympic team lead physiotherapist from 1990 to 2010, and a specialist member of the Irish Society of Chartered Physiotherapists. She is a graduate of the University College of Dublin. She was appointed to the medical, midi, the medical Committee of the Olympic Council of Ireland in 1990 and subsequently appointed as their lead physiotherapist. She has served with the Irish Olympic team for five consecutive Summer Olympic Games, commencing with Barcelona in 1992 through to Beijing in 2008. She also served with the Irish Olympic team for Turin in 2006 and Vancouver in 2010 Winter Olympics and was appointed to 10 Irish European Youth Olympic squads. Uh, Marie Elaine was appointed to the International Olympic Committee's Medical Commission's Games Groups, a clinical expert in sports physiotherapy. In this role, she has been responsible for monitoring physiotherapy activities and facilities for participating nations at London 2012 and the Rio 2016 Summer Games and the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympic Games and is currently preparing for the 2018 Winter Olympic Games to be held in Pyeongchang. The aims of this role are to protect the health of the world's Olympic athletes and advance the role of physiotherapy within the global Olympic movement. So in other words, she is a pretty big deal. And I was so, so happy to sit down and chat with her today. Uh, I shouldn't say today, back in, in Monaco. And she is not only delightful, but a real expert in the field of physiotherapy. So in this episode, we talked about taping and bracing. Everybody, you know, the Olympic Games kind of brought about this, the kinesio tape and taping uh, as part of sports, as part of sports medicine. So what we talk about today are the top three reasons for when to use and not to use tape or brace on your athlete. Does the ongoing use of taping or bracing develop dependency? The most important considerations to uphold the integrity of taping during sport. Is bracing or neuromuscular training more effective post-injury? And what are the validity of outcome measures? We also talk about the evidence behind taping. Is it there? Is it not there? I see this debate 
all the time on social media. So hopefully this podcast will put some of those debates in check. Um, again, I want to thank uh, Dr. Grant so much for coming on to the podcast. And like I said, I got to sit down and meet with her in Monaco. And if listen, if anybody is interested in being a part of the Olympics as a physiotherapist, this is the woman to contact. So you can get all of her information over at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com if you're interested in getting in touch with her and learning more about how to get involved in the Olympic Games. And with that being said, I will uh, let Dr. Grant take it from here. So everybody, thanks for tuning in and enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the BJSM podcast. I'm your host for today, Karen Litzy, and we are coming to you live from the IOC World Conference in Monaco. And I am thrilled and honored to be sitting next to Dr. Maria Lane Grant. She is a chartered, chartered physiotherapist currently on the IOC Medical Commission. She has monitored PT services on behalf of the IOC for the past two Summer Olympic Games. She has worked with Olympic athletes over her career and specializes uh, in sports and exercise physio, and she owns a clinical practice in Dublin, Ireland. So, Dr. Grant, thank you for coming onto the podcast. Thank you, Karen. I'm honored to be here this afternoon and lovely to have this opportunity to talk with you about this interesting topic. Yes, topic. and so the topic that we are going to be talking about today is bracing and taping in the athletic population. We are just fresh off of your talk here in Monaco, which was wonderful and certainly sparked a lot of conversation, lively conversation. So the first question we'll get to is, when do we tape and when do we brace? Now, you've asked a huge question there, Karen. It's the one that sparks all the debate all the time. Well, firstly, when should we use either? And then we can talk about is there a preference for either or or? So when would we use either bracing or taping for an athlete? Essentially, there's usually three reasons why we might do it. Um, personally, we might use bracing or taping if an athlete had an injury. And why would we use it then? We usually use them to support the injury, prevent movement, and sometimes they're used to help control swelling. And if the athlete is moving around, most importantly, to help prevent against re-injury because the brace of the tape. The idea of it is that it supports and it limits a certain amount of movement. So that's one case and probably the most frequently used scenario in the case of an acute injury. Secondly, we use them extensively when an athlete is returning to play after rehabilitation. Now this is always a very tricky time when an athlete has had an injury and it's that whole guesswork that's going on. How much loading should they take on that injured area and how much not to. And it has to be guided very, very carefully in very measured amounts of loading and activity as we rehabilitate a patient back to the field of play. And particularly in the case of athletes, because athletes are, by their very nature, they're people who wish to achieve. And they, by their very nature, will want to overstride. So the bracing and the taping in those types of scenarios kind of act as a little bit of a rain check to sort of pull them back from overdoing it, remind them they have this injury, and hopefully prevent them from redoing the injury. So that's where we see them used very, very frequently in training sessions after an injury and they're returning to play, and they're hugely useful then. And then there's this whole big debate about should athletes be wearing 
a brace or using taping on an ongoing basis to prevent against an injury occurring of an injury they've previously, previously had. And that area is an area of debate because there's a lot of debate out there about, you know, well, do they really prevent, do they really help against, uh, prevent against reoccurrence? And B, is it a good idea to allow an athlete to become dependent on a device or support? And that was one of the big things in this afternoon's discussion uh, here in Monaco, which was very interesting and very dynamic, with lots of very experienced experts there coming at it from quite different perspectives. And, you know, picking up on that, should we be taping or bracing these athletes after the acute injury has healed or has subsided? So let's say they're months down the road from their injury or sometimes years down the road and they're still wearing this tape. Is this a good idea? Great question, Karen. Um, we see a lot of different types of tape being used and we, and we watch our, our televisions and we can see top players uh, going around the place with a particularly tape perhaps not so many braces but definitely a lot of tape out there and you know you have to ask the question um, I saw that athlete with that tape six months ago and I see they're still wearing that tape now uh, what's the problem is this an ongoing injury that they can't get right and they need the tape or is this something that has just now become a, a form of habit, that they have developed a dependency on it and actually think they need it more than they actually do? And there is that danger with ongoing use of taping or bracing that an athlete de depends on it and, and develops this dependency that certainly is something that most practitioners would not encourage. So ideally, once an athlete has got over an injury and is well rehabilitated and is performing well, ideally, they are better to wean off any form of supportive device, be it taping, be it braces, if they can. And when you say wean them off, are we talking a graded exposure off the tape or are we just saying, okay, Saturday you're wearing it, Monday you're not, and that's it? No, it's never as <laughs> immediate and as straightforward as that, Karen, and nothing is ever simple in life, is it? Um, it's a really great question because, you know, there's this whole psychological aspect attached to taping and bracing which we can't ignore now we always look to the evidence base and there's nothing like having good robust studies to try and help us find the answers and yes there have been a lot of studies done on taping and bracing and most very definitely the evidence base is coming out in favor saying yes uh, taping and bracing does help prevent against reoccurrence particularly of ankle strains the ankles are the one that have been because there's so much ankle instability out there it has been the one that has been most widely researched and indeed some very good studies done on it and the studies coming out saying yes um, they both bracing and taping well applied correctly applied can help prevent against the incidence of reoccurrence of ankle strain but it is we are not sure yet about whether they really prevent against the severity of an ankle strain should it reoccur but certainly the incidence seems to be down the very big question, you ask an excellent question there, to say, well, okay, we know they're of benefit, but really should we be using them on an ongoing basis? And here you're talking about a number of variables, Karen. You're talking about the athlete themselves and the sport they're, 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 they're competing in. And you're also looking at the physiotherapist's opinion in terms of to what level of functional capacity has that athlete rehabilitated that injured ligament, injured joint, injured part two, to allow them to really perform at top level? 
without needing the adjunct of a support. And if an athlete has got to that level that they don't really need it, and that is the, the feeling of their phys- the medical team and physiotherapist, and is also the feeling of the athlete, we can't ignore the athlete in this, then definitely don't continue to use it. Now, there are lots of different scenarios that you can meet within that, and I, know, I can see you smiling there, because it's just not as simple as that. Sometimes you have, and the most common one is, you'll have you know, the medical teams that coming to the evaluation together with the physiotherapist saying this you have a very functional athlete uh, your ankle is fully rehabilitated you're well able to take loading on it you're well able to jump from a vertical height there is no reason that you are at higher risk of uh, having an ankle a recurrence of that ankle strain than anybody else you have fully rehabilitated and it's very functional therefore you don't need that ankle brace or that support but the athlete says, oh, no, no, I feel I need it and I know I won't perform as well and I have to wear it and I'm afraid of going over it and there's fear avoidance there and they develop this dependency on it. And that is one where the medical team really cannot override the athlete's call if it does interfere with the athlete's performance. And it's one that has to be handled very, very carefully. And because, you know, I can just picture, and we kind of talked about this before, we started recording, but you know, we were saying they have their lucky pair of shoes or their lucky pair of shorts, and if they can't wear it, then they can't perform. And I can imagine that that taping or bracing can kind of take on that. That's a deep-seated belief that's really hard for that athlete to break. And if it is so deep-seated, yet the tape isn't preventing any, let's say, further uh, injury or re-injury. Is it upon us to start weaning them off of that if they can? And how would we, how would that, what does that weaning process look like? It's a difficult one. And I've been there with many athletes and it really requires a team approach. You really need the coach on side. You need your sports physician on side and you need the physiotherapist. And they all need to work together on this. And sometimes you'll need whoever surrounds the athlete, uh, be it their girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, uh, the young athlete, parents, whoever. And everybody has to have a clear understanding of what the, the ultimate aim here is. And you might argue and say, well, okay, the athlete likes the tape. The tape is doing no harm. Medical team have come to the conclusion that this tape is no longer required or it's not really performing a real function here. Um, why not just let the, the athlete go on wearing it? And that is an argument. The other side of that argument to say, well, do you leave well enough alone or do you try and change or do you try and alter? And um, the other side of the argument is, listen, you are better to have an athlete not dependent on something they don't need. And why do I say that? It goes back to what you were talking about there, the lucky pair of shoes and the lucky shorts. For any athlete going out to competition, every elite athlete will have a very strict drill on the day before and certainly in the hours leading into competition. And that drill and that discipline that they have developed, that they get themselves to that starting blocks of the track is absolutely something that has to be fully respected. They know when they want to eat, they know what time they get their bus, they know how much warm-up they do, etc, etc. Now, if wearing the tape is part of that, that becomes part of that athlete's regime. That being said, I have observed many athletes over many Olympic Games and have worked with teams and athletes at very high level of competition. And one thing I have observed over these years, and it's not based on medical science, but simply common sense, 
that the less the athlete is dependent on as part of their preparation for an event, the more chance you have of that going right. So for example, if you are dependent on that piece of tape, even though it's not really doing an awful lot physiologically or biomechanically for you, but you're dependent on that piece of tape, and then you open your bag at the crucial moment, you're in the final of the 400 meter sprint in the Olympic Games, and you open the bag and whoopla, that piece of tape has been left at home in your room and nobody else around you has the same kind of tape. That's your race gone. Yeah, that's a problem. It is a problem. So the overall philosophy is the less dependency athletes have on extreme supports, the better. And the more likely they are to have consistent and really good performances. Because you can't, these variables can't go wrong on them. And they can keep their drill very, very, should we say, similar on each occasion. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So much sense. Now, let's talk about the tape that everyone sees at the Olympic Games. So they came out of Beijing, and, and this is the colorful, beautiful K-tape. Um, and I think when a lot of people think of taping, this is what they're thinking. They think of this K-tape. So what is the mechanism by which K-tape functions? Great question, Karen. Yes, K-tape has sort of taken the world by storm. Certainly around the 2008 Olympics, Beijing, when uh, it really came first on the market and uh, it really caught everybody's imagination. And I, I saw all types of shapes and designs and patterns and some of the really wonderful, wonderful fashion accessories actually um, at the Olympic Games in, in Beijing. Now we didn't see it to quite the same extent in, in, in the London Games and it sort of seems to be even to a lesser extent there in Rio in terms of all this colourful tape being used. So where are we with this colourful K-tape? There are many questions about it. Now what we first of all have to be very, very honest about in saying that athletes continue to use it and they continue to request it. So therefore, there is something in this, there is something to this, which good practitioners cannot ignore. We have to listen to this, and we have to try and understand why athletes find this beneficial, even if the science is not there to fully tell us in what way it is beneficial. The thinking behind it is, as you know, it's a very, very light tape. It's made of a very, very light substance, it is, um, there's a weave on the tape, and it is the weave on the tape that is thought to be the, the factor that actually, it's, that, that has the effect on the skin. And the whole thinking behind it is, rather than the stiff tapes, these very rigid tapes that we know about that support ligaments or support a joint, the K tape actually is a very soft tape, it's a very light tape, so it's not the same stiff structural type of tape that we'd know for support but it's a tape that addresses the dermis of the skin. And in the dermis of the skin, we have a lot of sensory receptors. So there is some theory behind the fact that it maybe it's affecting some of the sensory receptors and in so doing affecting proprioception and perhaps maybe in some cases muscle activity. That being said, there is no concrete good evidence to say that it is doing any of those things. Where it is starting to come through and where there's a better understanding of what it's doing is really more in the treatment of really very superficial injuries. Because it is thought that this very light tape, because it affects the organ of the skin, helps to relieve pain and also helps to affect the homeostasis of blood flow and lymph. So in such cases, obviously, we're going to get some alteration in blood flow where you have a contrusion or you have a, a hematoma. And by applying this light tape, 
it has been seen that these hematomas appear to resolve quicker with the tape than without the tape. There are studies out there looking at resolution of superficial injury, um, which look promising. Why it and how it actually helps to do this, we are still not fully sure. But if it's helping, it's not causing any harm, then there's no reason why not to use it. And I think the big thing about taping is that we need to do this K-taping is we need to have a much better understanding of what it is doing, how it does it, and to ensure that athletes don't develop a false dependency on it. And, and I think something else that came across very strongly in your lecture was that it does not support the joint. The, there's no evidence. Right absolutely no evidence to indicate that it does and they've done lots of different and there, indeed there has been uh, very recently there was um, a huge review done of the literature of all the papers that were published in very good journals and some of them in the BJSM very good studies um, that looked at and I think on the database there was something like 97 articles in total but about 10 of them met really good critical inclusion criteria and of these 10 reports where they compared the use of k-tape for supporting an instability of an ankle versus a rigid tape as in a zinc oxide type tape it showed that there was little little evidence there to support that the use of k-tape over other types of tape uh, is beneficial in the management of an injury and that really uh, it could not be shown that it did have a, a positive effect in terms of improving stability. Right, and, and I just want to bring that up because I think it's important for clinicians to know that because when you're communicating this with your patients and your, your athletes, whether they be high-level high athletes down to high school uh, athletes, I think it's important that as a therapist, you're communicating the right evidence to the patient. Because again, if you're saying, oh, this is going to support your joint, that will in turn have that patient perhaps be more dependent on it. Absolutely. And it circles back to what we said before, how that's what you really don't want to have happen. So I think it's important for people to give the right explanations. And I think it's very, very important that clinicians stay really up to date on, on the literature, what the literature is, a lot of studies going on, because there's a lot of questions being asked. But as it stands now, the literature tells us that the efficacy of this K-tape in preventing ankle sprains uh, by whatever mechanism is extremely unlikely. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's over to clinicians to, to really, and physiotherapists, doctors, everybody who's using these types of, of, of materials to be, be aware of that. And I think we really have to, to help our athletes understand that. Yeah, agreed. Now, another question about taping, whether it be the K-tape or the zinc oxide tape, whether it be rigid or, or incredibly stretchy. You, have, you tape your athlete, they go out and they play 10 minutes, 15 minutes, a half an hour. They sweat. The tape falls off. Do you retape in the middle of a game? What, what do you do? What's the deal? Okay, that's a mega, um, Karen, because there's a number of variables in there in that question. It's a very good question because it does happen. We've seen it happen. Um, firstly, about the tape falling off. Um, and something I talk about a lot when I'm teaching about taping and bracing, and you've heard me there this afternoon, and I really talk a lot about technique. Technique is absolutely crucial to a successful taping appliance. 
and technique must be really really good people must understand what they're about and they must be experienced at what they're doing and well practiced at what they're doing so that's the first thing is to apply the tape really really well second thing is the quality of the tape to ensure that you're really using a good tape a robust tape and a tape that adheres well if you're taping an athlete that you and obviously if you're doing it at a competition time you've taped this athlete before you're familiar with the athlete if and therefore you will have an understanding as their physiotherapist or the person who looks after them um, at the time of competition how well the tape adheres to their skin there are lots of different skin types and obviously if we encourage athletes to not have hair and the area that has to be taped etc so there are all those preparatory things make sure there's no oils there so to make sure that the skin is well prepared for it you may in addition to that have to use one of these adhesive sprays so the first thing is get it as right as right you possibly can be now okay say you've done everything perfectly but this is just a particularly heavy athlete obviously the bigger the athlete the greater the loading and then if it's a particularly hot climate uh, the loading on the tape is going to get be put under more strain, so the chances of it loosening are greater. And then, if you're in a lot of very hot climate where the person sweats a lot, well, then you're going to get a lot of soggy, awful stuff going on. And yes, the thing may come undone. At that point, um, there are two questions you have to ask. Firstly, how crucial is it for that athlete to have that taped again? If it's absolutely crucial that they're just recovering after an injury, well, then you have no choice. You have to tape. If it's something whereby the patient is, the athlete has become more of a used to taping for something that has long since uh, recovered and isn't too fussed about it and him or herself, they don't come off looking for it to be taped, you let them go on. And thirdly, even if they do want it to be taped, in some sports you're actually, the therapist can't go on and re-tape, it's not allowed. So you've got to know the rules of the sport. Can you re-tape? Can they have an intervention? through the, the time of the competition. And if they can't, they can't. They just have to go on. Okay, excellent. And can we talk a little bit before, we have a couple of questions on bracing, but before we go on to that, can you talk a little bit about risks of taping, any contraindications? There are always risks with everything. Um, and, the, and the primary risk with taping is to firstly have a very clear understanding of what you're trying to do. Um, if you don't clearly understand what you want to achieve with a tape and you don't have a clear understanding of what structures you're trying to support or what you want to achieve with it, my advice to any person working with athletes is don't do it. If you don't understand, you don't clearly know why you want to do this, this technique or apply this tape, then just don't do it. Then given that you do, you are the case, which is normally the case, that you want to say, We've talked a lot about ankles, let's just stay with ankles. Uh, you want to support a, a lateral ligament to help prevent against an inversion strain. So say you're in that scenario, um, the contraindications there would be um, if you are dealing with a very, very acute injury where there's a lot of swelling and you think they're going to continue swelling, then you don't put on a tight support. You put on a compression support, but you check it and you can reapply it. So no really, really tight, rigid supports and acute injuries where, where there's a lot of swelling. If the athlete has got a poor skin quality, again, you want to take that into account. Where there's open wounds, you don't want to tape over, sticky tape over an open wound. If there is any kind of a neurological deficit or if there is loss of sensation in the area, again, I would be very slow to tape in those kind of uh, scenarios. And by and large, for young athletes, young athletes under the age of 13, I would 
apply a supportive tape, but more like a supportive dressing in the case of acute injury. But I do not encourage a dependency on tape going forward because it's very, very easy at that young age uh, for a young athlete, developing athlete, to develop um, a dependency on uh, taping or bracing, which may actually be detrimental to them in, in the long term in terms of their performance and also in terms of adaptation. Yeah, absolutely. And and when you're, so let's talk about, not the K-tape right now, but let's just talk about that more rigid tape. Once that tape is applied and the athlete goes out into their game and they play or into their practice, how long do the properties of that tape last? It's a great question. Um, there are, again, a lot of studies have been done on that. I mean, they started the studies on doing that in the early 1990s. At that stage, it was sort of coming out saying that you know they offered 20 to 30% um, support, but the support was really gone after 15 to 20 minutes into a game or any kind of loading or running on it. Uh, more recent studies show that the tapes, because the quality of the tape has improved, and also the techniques in applying the tape, we have better understanding of exactly how to apply it and where we really need to reinforce the tape and what tension to put on the tape to really support the structures, the desired structures. Therefore, the, the current thinking is, and the evidence is suggesting that, you know, the, uh, the, efficacy, the efficacy of the tape will last for longer, and that you can go for, you know, a half an hour, an hour, and only end up with about 50% reduction in the mechanical support that the tape offers. That being said, even looking at the studies, Karen, that is something that's extremely difficult to measure exactly because you're looking at so many variables. How was it applied? How much activity was done, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're talking very generally there. Um, and it's just really just a rough guideline. Yeah, and it seems with, with all of this taping and bracing that there's so many variables to take into account from the the weight of the patient to how much how much load they're putting down onto the area that's being taped, how long they're wearing it for, what activity they're doing, how they feel about having the tape. I mean, this is there's a, a huge amount that Absolutely. goes into taping Absolutely. that I think a lot of people don't think about. I couldn't agree more, Karen. It's an excellent point. And one thing that no study has ever referred to in what I have read through, they never referred to the athlete's biomechanics. If that athlete is naturally, you know, a lateral foot loader as they heel strike, they're going to put a lot more force on that tape much earlier on in the game than the person who doesn't. So their own biomechanics and how they use that part when they're in sport and their loading of it is, is going to hugely affect how effective the tape is going to be after 15 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how about the, the technique of applying the tape? So we, we, you had mentioned earlier that technique is certainly a huge part of the tape. Um, let's say even when it comes to the K-tape, is the technique more important than the tape itself in the way that it is kind of sold to the patient as to how it's going to work? And this was actually a question from Twitter, from Neuro, Neuromanter, at Neuromanter on Twitter. Um, is it the, the flare and the flourish of putting the tape on? Is it the tape itself? It's a great question. And it's a very, very deep question. <laughs> because to, to try and compartmentalize that, 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 that question, the tape, the first thing about the tape, well, everybody should use quality tapes. 
There are a lot of generics on the market. We don't know where they've come from. By the time they even arrive at your practice, they've been haven't even been transported correctly. Uh, they've been transported into a hotter container. They've lost their adhesiveness, etc., etc. So the first thing is quality tape that is recognised and from a reputable supplier. That's the first thing I would say to anybody who's going down the road of using tape. So that's really about trying to ensure that the tape you use is correct. Now, once you've got a good quality tape, the next thing is the application. And the application, I really can't emphasize enough because the application is something that, to be very honest with you, we talk about good application, but if you would go through to a literature review on applying tape correctly and incorrectly for all kinds of ethical reasons, you can't, it's very difficult to do a study deliberately applying an incorrect taping procedure and going out and testing it against a good Yeah, board. yeah, that, that, that's hard to get it. approved by the ethical no, boards, no, right? Absolutely not. Yeah. So it just, it just, so for that reason, we're limited in sort of saying what is really, really good. I think what we, where we need to take it is we need to say, okay, this is the standard technique and then try and develop improvements on it and measure that against our standard technique. And that's really where we need to go with it. We haven't any studies of that nature yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing some uh, colleagues and perhaps some younger graduates undertaking those kind of studies because it, it, it's, it's, it's wide open and it's ripe for, for better understanding. Yeah, I, I agree and you never know. People may hear this and say, oh, I've got an idea. I've got an Wonderful. idea for a study, so let's do it. Um, one more question on bracing and it's something that you had mentioned uh, during your talk and it's bracing versus neuromuscular training. So I'm a physio, you're a physio. A lot of physios listen to BJSM. This is very. This was very surprising to me. So, can you talk to bracing versus neuromuscular uh, exercises, and which one is more effective post injury? Wow. I wish I had all those answers. <laughs> okay, let's just tackle it piece by piece. First of all, let's try and say, ask ourselves, has bracing been shown, say we go back to our, our standard lateral ligament strain uh, inversion um, type injury, uh, just to keep things clear and simple. Um, okay, let's just take that one. Has the taping techniques, have they shown, the rigid taping techniques, have they shown to be more to better efficacy than, than the brace? Uh, the ankle brace as, as we know in the rigid ankle braces and there's lots of them on the market lots of studies done on that and to be very honest with you it's really coming out much of a muchness a well applied uh, zinc oxide type rigid bra um, taping that's well applied versus an appropriate uh, brace or boot uh, for lateral ligament strain it's much of a muchness both have been shown to affect against the frequency of inversion strain but there is not much commented on the severity and that's something we should keep in mind. And that, again, is another, another study wide open for, for good research because um, we really need to know about the severity that happens uh, uh, when an athlete is wearing um, either of these supports. So that's one thing. So we don't really know. So at the moment, it's a neither or. So if an athlete has had an inversion strain and you want to support it, uh, in a return to play situation or doing the rehabilitation, should you choose taping over bracing? It's going to be very much a personal preference. It's going to be the preference of the athlete, it's going to be the preference of the physiotherapist. And um, both are correct. 
and it's really one where clinical judgment comes into it. And if a physiotherapist finds that they want to guide their athlete through the choice of bracing over taping, or taping over bracing, that would be the, the clinical intelligence and the clinical experience of, 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 of that physiotherapist to guide them to, to make that choice. Um, in terms of the big question, will neuromuscular training override either the use of the tape or the brace? And it's an excellent question. And we as physiotherapists, we would sort of automatically, without even thinking, we'd always have a knee-jerk reaction, a knee-jerk response to that. Of course, well, do your exercises, get on the board, do this, do that, of course. Stand on of one course, leg, do exactly, this, yes, yes. Exactly, and we'd go gung-ho, and we'd be delighted to see somebody rehabilitate, and we'd push them all the way with their exercises, and rightly so, rightly so, because we can see with our own eyes, function improves, functional capacity, performance improves. Um, so it's just, it's logical, it's common sense, it's what we do. And we know it's what our athletes and patients, for that matter, needs. It's what rehabilitation is all about. The conundrum here, Karen, is that our much-respected evidence base at the moment is not supporting that view. When we look at the evidence base, it is telling us in many of the studies, and they're good studies, that in actual fact, if you're looking at or you're trying to measure, uh, say, athletes, there was one study done there quite recently looking at... Um, 384 athletes aged between the age of 18 and 27 who sustained a lateral ligament strain and they were evaluated for occurrences, recurrence of the, the ankle sprain and say a third of them were put in a brace, a third of them were given neuromuscular training and a third were given you know, a combination of, of both. Very interestingly, you and I sitting here as, as, as physiotherapist, if I was asked, well, which group came out the best, I would automatically say to you, oh, of course, the crowd that got the neuromuscular training. I hate to say to you, in actual fact, no, the group that had the neuromuscular training did not come out as well in terms of injury prevention and uh, lower rate of reoccurrence than the group that had uh, worn the brace, which is somewhat disappointing. Yeah. Because we sort of say, you know, we need surely the neuromuscular training because that's what we aim towards. That's what we aim to rehabilitate all our, all our athletes and all our patients in, 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 in different walks of life uh, to, 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 to wean off um, dependency. Surely a patient who can walk without a weight, uh, walking stick is in a better position than a patient who doesn't require a walking stick. It's a bit of a no-brainer. I think what we have to do here is we have to be very, very, really, really analyse this in its true context and in its entirety. When we're looking at these studies that show that you know a lot of supportive mechanisms come out as well as or if not better than neuromuscular training we have to look at what we're measuring and we're only measuring a very 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 limited factor so when the athlete did the neuromuscular training all we're being told in the study is that they didn't have the same rate of reoccurrence of the lateral ligament strain what we don't know is how much better was that athlete running or jumping. If we were to go and talk to all those coaches, they might say, oh yeah, yes, yeah, since he went and did all that, those exercises, he's so much, he's running better, he's not avoiding it as much, there's less fear of avoidance. So what we have to do is we cannot throw out the neuromuscular training by any stretch. We just have to understand it in the context of the study. And the study is particularly looking at this as is it affecting the recurrence of the lateral ligament strain? That's the only answer, it is the only question it's addressing and the only answer it's giving us. But we've got to look at the patient or the athlete in their entirety and say, yes, there's probably lots of other factors there that they have benefited by, by doing that neuromuscular training. Agreed. Okay, we've got last question here. So what are the three big takeaways 
from the research on taping and bracing in you know in the population that we've been speaking about in this in our athletic population very good question what i firstly would say is athletes still seek taping and bracing they still use them we see a lot of them around so if they're using them we've got to ask ourselves what are the reasons so it's one of these questions we can't ignore and if I could just add, having been at the last two Olympic Games monitoring the physical therapy services, it's been a very, very, very privileged to do it, but a very unique opportunity because before that I, I was down in the trenches like everybody else, working with my athletes on a team and up to my elbows in oil and tape and ice packs and doing all the things that we love doing and helping our athletes. But when I was very honoured to be asked to do this, um, this role uh, on behalf of the IOC where I'm asked to monitor the activities and the physical therapy services within the polyclinics and at the, at, at, at the competition venues. I'm asked to take a bird's eye view, to evaluate, to look, to understand, to improve the services that are being offered. And that's given me a real unique opportunity to really observe what's happening. And what is very interesting in relation to this whole question of taping that of all the different interventions that athletes at the height of competition from across the globe could request in an Olympic polyclinic at the time of competition within physical therapy services, taping came the third highest in London and came out again the third highest requested intervention in Rio. So that's telling us something very real and it's telling us something we can't ignore. That athletes depend on taping, they feel that taping helps them, helps their performance, helps their injury, or we know it helps them. So that, that is a perception that is out there, and that is what is happening. I think it's over to us now to really get a better understanding of why this is so. And in that, that context, um, Karen, um, I think we can't close our eyes to it. So we've got to address it and we've got to keep developing our understanding of the use and the application. And in that context, I would say that yes, athletes use it. Yes, it is of benefit. We need to measure the benefit. That's the one thing we really need to do. There is nothing conducive to say that taping is better than bracing. We've got to look at the advantages and the disadvantages of either. Bracing can be more costly. It can be harder to get good fitting, etc., etc. It's again going to be down to the type of injury, the athlete, the reason why we're using it. There is no compelling evidence in the, in the evidence base to say to us that one type of brace or taping is better than another. And really the big message is that the choice continues to be based on clinical reasoning, the available guidelines that are there, and a clear understanding of the key criteria. And we also must take the athlete's preference and choice into account. Excellent. Well, I think that is a great way to end the interview. And I can't thank you enough for taking time out of what I am sure is a very busy schedule here at the IOC World Conference. So um, I thank you very much uh, for coming on. And a big thank you also to BJSM for including me in this conference and, and in the podcast. So thank you very much, Dr. Grant. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. I'm very honored to talk with you this afternoon and thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.
and don't forget to follow us on social media.